For years, BreweryDB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery knowledge and responsible for mapping millions of visits to breweries all across the United States. In early 2021, BreweryDB revealed a whole new platform with all new features for craft lovers to plan their unique brewery experience. Find, filter, search, and route your way to breweries worldwide and in your own neighborhood. To take full advantage of the optimized power of BreweryDB and to increase your brew knowledge, visit BreweryDB.com, your digital destination for brewery experiences. Good Beer Matters shares the stories of craft and culture found in every glass, and I'm excited to announce that the Good Beer Matters podcast and BreweryDB are collaborating this year to help you get to the bottom of it. Visit us at BreweryDB.com and GoodBeerMatters.net to finally have the experience you've been missing. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. It's accepted that you know generally around 40% of all the food that we grow goes to waste, which is like leaving the grocery store with you know five bags and dropping two in the parking lot. Right, so we're, we're actually talking about an ingredient that is more nutrient dense for human food applications after it's been used to brew. You know, we're kind of asking the question of, hey, can we be doing something, something better? Recycle, reduce, and reuse. These were the solutions to environmental problems banged into my head from school and Captain Planet. But as technology and creativity progress, new solutions are now available to us. My next guest teaches us about a new solution and how beer can protect our planet, even during snack time. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 87 of Good Beer Matters with Dan Kurzrock of Regrained. Today on the Good Beer Matters, we kind of get back to my roots. Uh, I've back in uh, back in my day when I went to college, I got an environmental uh, studies degree, and uh, and honestly haven't done anything with it other than uh, talk to people like my next guest, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. I'm I'm excited to hear about what you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Stoked to be here. That's good awesome. Good beer does matter. Good beer does matter. Um, uh, but you know, let, let's just let's just kick things off. Um, uh, you've got a, a tremendous story to tell. But uh, real quick, will you introduce yourself and let's just talk about your how you ended up in in beer in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name's Dan Kurzrock. I'm the, the co-founder CEO, although I prefer the title Chief Grain Officer <laughs> of a food of a food company called Regrained. And I got into doing this actually as an underage home brewer. Um, what what Regrain does, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this in more detail in a bit. But the, the business is was created to connect the dots between the brewing industry. And the food industry with the very nutritious and flavorful co-product that's created from beer production. That is uh, the artist formerly known as Brewer's Spent Grain. Mm-hmm. Spent being a total misnomer, which is something that, that we 
realized when I was making beer. And so I started uh, making batches of bread with my own grain for my own hobby for home brewing, selling it to friends, using the proceeds to brew for free. You know, this is around 2010, 2011. And uh, one thing led to another. And, you know, today what we're doing is we're working with a lot of major food companies uh, around developing products that use the ingredients that we're able to create uh, from this co-product from from the brewing industry. And so kind of uh, I'm in, in the industry, but also kind of, I guess, ad- adjacent to it. You know, we're, uh, we have the distinct pleasure of getting to, to visit a lot of great breweries and enjoy some some great beer um but yeah we're in the in the food industry and a lot of people realize beer is food uh but maybe we're shifting the shifting the perspective on that a little bit well it, definitely the uh the monks of uh polliner in, in germany taught us that uh, beer is liquid bread so we're we're kind of following the same path but but I, i've got to ask you so you know, I, I had a brush with destiny in college when I um, walked into my my uh, store of vice with you know, to get some like wine or liquor or something like that. Um, I think I even dabbled in cigars back then because I thought it was a very cool in Southern California thing to do. But I, I walked into the shop and I saw this box that said homebrew kit. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, you can brew beer at home. Had no no clue, and then I kind of looked at that for a second, and then just went right on to go get what was ever on whatever was on my list. And I wish I had started home brewing in college. I think I would have been the man. I would have been invited to all the parties because I would have brought my own beer. Um, but I didn't start home brewing till later on. But even even though I was technically older and vastly more mature, um, you know, you know, brewing the beer, it was just like, hey, this is awesome. We have beer. Let's go drink some beer and hang out and do some cool stuff. But you managed to to kind of change your awareness despite despite being in that context of college and I'm making beer and I barely, have, you know, don't have my, um, I'm not 21 yet. You managed to think about a larger context of, hey, there's a problem with this. Um, for one, it shows a sign of maturity and vision, but um, tell me about how you started thinking about, wow, this is a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I like to think of it as a as a problem flipped pretty quickly into what an opportunity it is. Um, you know, the brewing for, for me started one of my best friends in college, his uncle, uh, was a pretty avid home brewer. And so we uh, actually didn't start with the standard kits that a lot of home brewers do, but went pretty pretty early on to an all-grain setup. And in doing that, even though we were brewing, you know, five gallons is kind of your standard homebrew batch, right, part of the keg, Yeah, uh, we re- we'd be using 20, 30 pounds of grain. We were always trying to brew as high gravity as possible also because <laughs> yeah. we were college students. Yeah. I, I just did that math. It's like, oh, wow, you're making some strong stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, we we're making like, yeah, strong, strong beers. Um, and I was in an urban environment. I was also in Southern California. You know, just a little background. I grew up in, in Northern California where I just took it as a default that there is compost, you know, and actually grew up with a vegetable garden. And so you know, your coffee grounds, your banana peels and everything goes in a green bin and that gets, um, you know, gets processed as, as, as compost, uh, in the college environment that I was in, I was at UCLA and at the time they didn't even have dedicated recycling bins for off campus housing, let alone compost. And so every time we made this batch of beer, you know, we'd be using a, basically a cooler full of, of, 
of grain, you know, 20, 30 pounds. Um, and of course it's very waterlogged after you've used it to brew. But once you move on to, you know, after extracting the wort to the, to the boil, you know, there's nothing to do with the grain anymore. And the only place we had to put it was the dumpster out front. And so I had this physical experience of feeling like I was dumping almost like a commercial kitchen sized batch of oatmeal straight into the trash. Mm. And, you know, anyone who's brewed knows when you're, when you're you know, mashing in and grinding out, like it smells nice. It's bready. It's got a, a nice kind of toasty aroma. You know, any, anyone who's, who's tasted it, you know, knows that the grain doesn't, you know, it's, and it's still a, a, a raw grain, kind of like, you know, an unsweetened oatmeal or something like that, but it's got some nice flavor to it too. And so had this, this moment of realizing, Hey, we're, we're basically making food every time we make beer and throwing it out. You know, we spent all this, this money on the grain as an ingredient. There's all these resources that went into producing it the first time around. I wonder if there's something else that we can do with it besides putting it in the, in the dump. Of course I knew that, uh, you know, through some quick research that other home brewers or commercial brewers often enjoy a symbiotic relationship with the you know, farming or, or ranching community. You know, that wasn't really, that wasn't really an option. And I found a history of, of home brewers. And it was actually an old German tradition with this too, where, you know, people would make bread in small batches or there'd be, you know, brew pubs that would mm-hmm. have a pizza on the menu. Maybe that was using it. And thought to myself, Hey, we can figure out how to make beer can probably figure out how to bake too. Um, and so it became a tandem brewing and, and baking day. And yeah, you know, the idea as I was mentioning was to produce these, uh, you know, produce the bread, sell it, make enough money to brew for free. And the original business idea was to have a brewery that was also a bakery effectively and kind of canonize that whole, you know, closed loop approach. Um, but timing is everything, right? Too, and you know, this was 2010, 2011, right when the uh, uh, latest wave of craft breweries was was really popping. You know, there was about two new breweries opening per day around the time. A lot of them opening up in cities, and so thinking things through, I was wondering if we were having this challenge as urban home brewers, what were all these new urban breweries doing with their grain? Yeah. And interviewed a few and learned that it was actually difficult for them to get reliable pickups. And in some cases, it was a cost center, actually. And while this wasn't you know, the case for the, the entire industry at large, you know, that's a kind of a pain point and an efficiency that thought, okay, well, maybe there's an elegant solution here where we help create food uh, that solves this problem and you know creates an opportunity for the for the food industry. And you know, over time realized um as more and more information about the food waste problem came out and, you know, things like the, uh, the environmental protection agency's food recovery hierarchy were published where, you know, documented how feeding, feeding people is the, is the highest ultimate use that there, there's an opportunity for all breweries, you know, all over the world to think about this, uh, this byproduct, not as a, you know, byproduct, but actually as a, as a resource. And so, you know, the idea just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger over time to, to where it is today, but it really just started with that spark of, Hey, I feel like I'm making food every time I'm making beer and I'm 
putting it in the dumpster, and that just that just feels wrong. We got to be able to do something better. Well, and you know, I, I I've, I'm only a home brewer, but I've I've brewed a bunch and studied enough to where you I mean, you know, you're getting a ton of sugars going into the wort. You're getting you know proteins, some tannins, you know, that you're and you're getting a bunch of compounds that are coming from that malt into the liquid. And so I had always assumed, because I'd always been taught that, you know, this is spent grain, kind of like in the mm-hmm. Austin Power sense, and I'm spent, and it's just it's just like next to worthless. But but I, I never resolved the the fact that I'd, I'd have farmers tell me that they would take all this, quote-unquote, spent grain, load it up on their trailer, take it out to the farm, and I'd, I had farmers tell me that, you know, like the, the cows would actually follow the the vehicle they would follow the trailer because they knew there was something really good in there because they've you know they've been you know trained like pavlovian dogs and and um and i always thought well if if that grain is spent and worthless then why do these cows love it but these cows knew something that i didn't um and uh so i guess you know a little background story but the question is what is left in this quote-unquote spent grain that is valuable yeah, it's a it's a really good it's a really good question, and it's one of our most common ones because it's given this name of of spent grain, and it's you know it's spent its ability to make beer, right? Like most breweries have, commercial breweries have a you know at least I would say an eighty percent, you know seventy five eighty percent efficiency, right? Of the uh, you know extraction of the fermentable sugars, and what's left is a concentration of most everything else, and so you know if you run a nutritional nutritional analysis on it which of course we we do frequently you know we're talking about an average there's an average of about 20 percent protein actually by weight that's that's left in there which to give you a little perspective you know quinoa is like 12 percent yeah you know almonds are like 20 percent right so we're talking about something with the protein level you know the amino acid profile is a little different than, than almonds of course but we're talking about an you know protein level uh you know crudely put that's similar to a nut you know, it's got over 40% dietary fiber, mostly insoluble, which is what's, you know, the actual good, you know, dietary fiber. It's got prebiotic potential. It's really good for, for gut health. You know, 40, 40% plus, that's, you know, three to four times whole wheat. Right? So we're, we're actually talking about an ingredient that is more nutrient dense for human food applications after it's been used to brew. Um, you know, as far as the good nutrients are concerned, I guess, you know, sugar is technically a, a nutrient, but, um, you know, it's a, it's it's pretty potent stuff, and there's actually several decades worth of various academic and nutritional science papers that have been that we were able to uncover doing research that said, hey, there's a lot of potential here. Um, and so the question, you know, just anticipating maybe where we might want to go next is, okay, well, why hadn't someone done something with this before? Um, and F- famous these... last words: Someone should do yeah. something about this. So therefore, <laughs> you have to do something about it. Yeah, and you know what? You know what was documented, which we had experienced firsthand, is that you know the grain when it's coming out of the brewery, it's it's ninety percent water by weight, mm-hmm. which not only makes it heavy and difficult to transport, but it's also very volatile. It spoils in hours, and so there was uh, you know a pretty well documented. You know, lack of infrastructure, you know, lack of technology, you know, sufficient to, in an energy efficient and food safe way, actually creating something that's you know stable and and useful for the, for the food industry. So that was kind of the next you know hurdle for us to to overcome was okay. Well, it seems like a good idea. It seems like the barrier here is and how to process it. Um, 
how do how, how do we do that? Because we know there's good stuff in there. That's just yeah. latent latent value ready to be unlocked. Yeah, I, I wondered about that too. And in, in a minute, I'll kind of ask you about the general process and 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 you know not ask you any proprietary stuff, but um, but kind of be, before we get to that point, um, so th- you know that that's. You know, at, at face value, this is a quaint notion that hey, we have all this good stuff. It's like I, you know, we've got perfectly good leftovers in the fridge. Let's not waste them and throw them away because, you know, like when I was a kid, they're starving kids in some third world country somewhere, and we're not going to ship it. So you got to eat the leftovers. But, um, th- but that's just surface value. I think there's something even deeper here. Why is why is this whole uh, um, a food waste? Uh, concept. I mean, we're talking about beer, we're talking about spent grain, but we're talking also talking about uh, like global food waste. Why is this a topic that that is important and that everyone should have some level of awareness about? Yeah, I mean, food waste as a problem overall is is massive. You know, some of the m- most shocking you know reports, you know, or first reports really started coming out about this in twenty fourteen or so. There's a great one that the NRDC put out called Wasted. Um, there's a great organization called Refed that is a great source of information about the food waste, you know, problem and the opportunities that are that are in there. Um, it's accepted that you know generally around 40% of all the food that we grow goes to waste, which is like leaving the grocery store with you know five bags and dropping two in the parking lot. Yeah, and that's a you know that's a big deal. There's a lot of embedded resources and cost in that, like water. Um, you know, with what we're talking about with 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 regrain and with our, with, you know, the brewer's grain, you know, this is, we classify this as, as upcycling and we kind of borrowed a term from materials, science, tech, textiles, you know, upcycling is something that's talked about there where you're like, instead of t- taking a plastic bottle and turning it into another plastic bottle, it's where you process a plastic bottle into a fleece, you know, the Patagonia cells, you know, something, something like that. That's, yeah. that's upcycling, creating higher value. As a sustainability nerd, um, realized that what we were doing with food here, it wasn't recycling, it was upcycling. We were, taking a resource and creating something of higher value with it. Yeah. And, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's alchemy, right? It's like modern day, you know, like food, food alchemy and the, you know, connection to the food waste problem is, you know, it's, it's directly related in the sense of, you know, there's embedded resources and these are, you know, kind of fall going to lower use, at least in the case of, you know, brewer's grain specifically. And there's other, you know, Byproducts, co-products that we're that we're looking at that don't all fall under the same classification. But like going to animal feeds a lot better than going to landfill. So like when food waste goes to a landfill environment, it breaks down into methane, which is an extremely potent greenhouse gas. You know, it's more than twenty times as bad as carbon dioxide. It's yeah. it's it's bad stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, with with upcycling, you know, we're kind of asking the question of, hey, can we be doing something something better? And so it's it's almost more like a food loss conversation than a food waste conversation, if that makes sense, where it's, hey, there's there's food that's being left off the table. And through these innovations, we can, you know, actually bring the nutrition to, you know, to the people. Um, and, you know, kind of at the fundamental level, though, with the embedded resources, you know, think about like water footprint is probably the easiest way to uh, kind of contextualize, you know, the, the embedded resources in, in food, you know, beer as an agricultural product, which, which it is. And most people just don't think about it like that, you know, about 90% of the water footprint of beer 
a lot of people think it's in the brewing process where you're adding water to no. grain, right? No, Not it's in all. the agriculture. It's in the agricultural supply chain, and most of it is in the barley. And it's more than 300 gallons of water. By our estimate, it's about 330 gallons of water to produce the pound of grain that, on average, is used to produce that six pack of beer. So that's like the equivalent of a two-hour shower's worth of water using to you know to produce grain to to make grain. That's not something to like feel bad about, you know, that there's embedded resources and you know the beer that you're that you're consuming right but what we're doing is we're asking a next level question of okay all of this water has been used to produce this barley to process it into malt to turn it into beer and there's still good stuff left over so let's do more with less and let's create another use you know for this at the highest possible tier of consumption and you know that's um you know, you can it gets simplified a lot to think about it as water savings, right? So, like, we have this pasta that just came out where, you know, in each box, you know, it's a it equates to about 80 gallons of water that's saved by virtue of putting that water to best use, by virtue of displacing some virgin, you know, wheat that would have otherwise been used that also took, you know, virgin water to mm-hmm. to produce. Um, but you know, it's it's really there's there's a little bit of you know, nuance there where it's okay. This this water has already been been used. Let's get more out of out of it. And same goes for all, you know all the other resources. I just think the water water one is a you know, we all think about at least being on the west coast. Um, for for me, growing yeah. up in California, I yeah. get water is top of mind. Yeah. And so that's a one way, maybe helpful way to to think about the the cost of of not upcycling and the opportunity of upcycling. And 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 so you you kind of uh, ipso facto kind of answered the next question I had about uh, you know. Uh, the people in the beer business and consumers, what you know, what they need to understand about the global impact of this waste and everything else. But you know, you know, on, you know, to be honest, you know, you know, we're all adults. Uh, adulting is hard. Life is busy. It's like yes, the whole environmental thing. That's that's a noble cause. But you know, I've, I've got I've got work. I've got bills. I've got kids. I, you know, I just don't have time to put my brain power on this right now. For those people who, uh, and I'll even lump myself in there too. I mean, because you know, th- this adulting thing is hard. But, but for those people who don't want to dive in as deeply as you have, what can they do? Um, you know, at, you know, the beer us beer consumers. What can we do to kind of play our part in this industry? And 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 I'll answer that first part for you. Of course, you can go buy the regrain products. But you know, <laughs> what, what, what else? What else can we do to kind of yeah add I, to I this solution? It, I, I've got a question for you. How are you engaging with your customers? Are you adding value or just vying for attention? If you have a business, then you are an authority and should be regarded as a partner in everyone's mutual success. But getting that message across in the first place, that's the trick. At Mountain Sea Media, I use education and storytelling to keep your brand on top of mind. So if you're done with ineffective marketing and want to create more impact, I want Mountain Sea Media to be your resource for high-value branded content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to explore the possibilities. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. I'm big on helping people understand, you know, basically making the right thing the easy thing for for people because that's that's the reality of what's going to happen, right, is if it's not easy – we've all got a lot going on. Like you said, adult thing is hard. Um, and so, you know, I think where kind of the two, you know, there's, there's probably more, but the two main ones, uh, you know, one is just your, like you hinted at your purchases, right. And, 
purchasing things where it's not that you need to research every single product that you buy. There's actually certifications, you know, that exist that signal certain qualifications about certain products. So, you know, for upcycling, there's actually a upcycled food certification that launched in June. Um, I helped create it. Uh, you know, there's a whole nonprofit that's dedicated to that called the Upcycled Food Association. Um, you know, when you see products that are have upcycled on the label, you know that they contain ingredients similar to, to ours. Now, some of them may have ours. Some of them, you know, there's other producers of things like the cherry from coffee production or the fruit from the cacao pod or the, um, you know, there's companies that are actually turning stale bread back into beer, right? You know, those, those are all examples of like upcycled food. And, yeah. You know, there's, there's a certification for that. But for breweries, um, you know, there's a, another certification that is, is called B Corp. That, that you may have seen, yep. you know, companies that are certified as, as B Corps, you know, they actually end up pursuing this legal structure, you know, of a public benefit corporation. And it, it codifies in the actual, you know, DNA of the company itself that they have to care about people, planet and profit. Right. And that it's uh, not just for profit. So like in the pursuit of profit, you know, you've got to consider these other things and there's a whole pretty rigorous certification process for companies to do that. So when you see a brewery um, like, you know, New Belgium, for example, is a is a B Corp. Um, that's certified as a as a as a B Corp. You know that 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 brewery gives a shit, right? And that's an indicator. And so I think it's like it's important just to look for those indicators, you know, that are out there, where there's maybe other third parties that are doing the heavy work, you know, heavy work to actually verify, you know, the practices of of different companies to meet certain standards. And then, um, you know, if they earn that certification, uh, that's that's a good indicator to you as a consumer that they're you know they're trying to do the right thing and if they make great beer too uh you know win-win right yeah um the other big thing that we all need to do that just you know is, i just have to say out of just moral obligation is uh, you know around just voting and regulatory right so like the regulatory frameworks you know dictate the environment the businesses play in that dictate the products that are created and you know what's, what's available and, and whatnot and you know we need both the public sector and the private sector to you know kind of solve all these problems um, so we don't need to go, go go too deep into that but uh you know, there's a, an aspect of, you know, influence you know, over the regulatory environment that uh, that's, that's important too. Yeah. yeah, the absolute easiest thing is around understanding, you know, looking for the certifications that a product has, kind of understanding what they are, and then using those as, you know, well, green and, lights. And, and to uh, paraphrase something Gandhi said, uh, you know, uh, vote the change you want to see in the world, and, and that means vote with your dollars. Buy those, buy buy those products that reflect the choices that you'd like to see, um, and, and, and actual, actual voting too. And then that, that's, that's our yeah. little PSA for the episode, but it's also not the seventies anymore where these products like taste like cardboard or, you know, you're trading off on flavor for, you know, some altruistic ideal. Like there's products now, you know, taste is King that are also, you know, one of their better differences is that they are considering, their broader impact, you know, and using, trying to use their business as a force for good. And so, you know, find there's in every possible type of product you want to, you want to buy, there probably is a, you know, certified B Corp and a 1% for the planet member. And there's, you know, there's options that are out there and they might not even be at that much of a premium or no premium at all, uh, compared, compared to the others. Uh, 
And so well, trying and, to make that and, right and, choice and, the easy choice. And you brought up Patagonia, and, and this is a, as a very shameful plug for Patagonia, but I bring them up often because they they are a great model from the standpoint. But yeah, yeah it's like you know, you know, I, I basically live in board shorts and flip flops. Um, you know, the the Patagonia board shorts I have is like, yeah, I I spent more for those, probably like one and a half times of what you know another board short would be. But I've had those for decades now, and and yeah. so in the long run, it's like I'm saving money. So it's and and whether it, I don't, it doesn't matter what company it is, but you know, uh, but think about what you'd like to see if if you know i'm not going to be that guy starting a a company that solves the world hunger and the upcycling food thing that that you, you've got that one my the best thing i can do at this point with all of my adulting uh, uh duties is you know to buy a pair of patagonia board shorts or another uh stuff like that and and kind of let those let those dollar votes kind of speak for themselves and then and then tomorrow try to do one better and that's that's really all yeah. and that's really all we hope to do is just do better yeah and as a you know as a byproduct of that something that you didn't even mention is that you know okay you know you've got the, these cool board shorts like you probably talk about them <laughs> too you know and these conversations you know like we just did and you know conversations are powerful yeah you know, everyone's obsessed with you know social media and all these other kind of more you know modern you know means of uh reaching like an audience and you know there's all this jargon you know around that but you know there's really it's really powerful just with your immediate circle you know when you bring a beer to a party that is maybe maybe it's like a certified b corp or they're organic or they've got some other you know attribute that they are maybe it's a snack that's made with upcycled ingredients or you know has some other attribute that you know creates some some value like share you know talk yeah. about it yeah too. and um that that yeah, that travels. Well, and, 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 amplifies. On, and on that same vein of thought, I'll, I'll do another little shameful plug. Um, uh, in a past episode uh, with Ola Brewing out in uh, the Big Island of Hawaii, um, th- they're they're doing just some incredible stuff. I, I can't rave about them enough. I mean, because not only is their beer good and their cider and everything else that they make is good, but the way that they're doing it is just phenomenal and is in a tremendous um, model for what others could do. But um, in that episode, I was introduced to the uh, the Hawaiian concept of lokahi, and that is, and that's synonymous with you know B corps, where it's like you know they're trying to do right by the land, they're trying to do right by the people, and they're trying to do right by the business. So you don't have to have a nonprofit um, and and endure long work hours with low pay just to make some positive change. You can make money. You can do some good things. You you can have it all. You can have that win-win-win trifecta, and there are a number of people doing that. And B Corp is one of those things that is kind of showing that, yes, we can do this. Lokahi is one of those things that, yes, we can do this. And everyone wins in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, this these compromises, these trade-offs that are, you know, perceived as being a part of all this is, you know, not, uh, not necessary in every case. You can, you can check a lot of boxes if you're just thoughtful, you know, about, and and just try to be conscious and intentional. You know, I guess I just use a bunch of synonyms for the same thing there. It's uh, I I totally agree. Well, and and I've heard people say, yes, to, to do that, this seems so much harder, but it is a challenge, but so is just starting a business in the first place. If you set it up right, it's not as hard as people think. So I've heard, so people have told me that it's not as hard as it appears. You just, you just follow a slightly different ethic and a different channel and cross a few extra boxes. But in the end, it's it's, it's it's actually been documented to pay off more across the 
yeah. uh, the long run too. There's a good amount of business, you know, books out there that cover some various case studies about entering take the long term view. Uh, companies that are considering all these things and not obsessed with, you know, short-term decision-making and, you know, quarter-to-quarter reporting, um, yeah, they, out, they outperform uh, conventional companies, too. So it's, uh, we're just, my, my, what worries me is that we're just not, you know, converting more businesses and more you know, people to thinking like that fast enough, right? You know, there's there's a lot of, I feel a lot of urgency around everything that's, that's going on, but, uh, you know, bit by bit, uh, you know, there's more products for example that we see that are you know like great beer that also has great values that's you know you know at the right price um you know i think uh you know becomes the new status quo um hopefully over time i just want to i just want to see it happen faster yeah and and that's that right there is exactly um the main reason why i wanted to have you on the podcast just to talk about here's someone who's actually doing it so let's Let's all kind of start changing the way we think about it. This this uh, change process is, needs to happen a little little quicker. But um, uh, so I, I mentioned I was going to get to this question in a little bit. But uh, can you tell us the process? I mean, like you know, I, I'm planning to brew something here in a few weeks, and and I'm going to have a bunch of this uh, spent grain left over. What is the process of taking this spent grain and turning it into something different and viable for as a food product? Yeah. Yeah, so you know, regrain that. We have a patent on what we've developed, and I'll tell you a bit about that. But you know, just taking like a, you know, just starting with what you're asking. You know, you're you're brewing next week. You're going to create some of this grain. You know, the most important thing to stop the spoiling of this, to keep it safe for human consumption, to keep it, you know, to make it so that you can we can actually use that nutrition and all that great flavor that's in there. Uh, the simplest way to do it is to just dehydrate the grain quickly. Okay. Um, and so is that kind of like a low temp oven type of thing? Yeah, you could, you can just do it in your oven. Just stir. If it's a higher temperature just stir more frequently. Yeah. Okay. And do it until, you know, it'll create steam. And after probably about two, depending on if you've got it at like 200, 250, something like that, it's probably like a two, three hours stirring every 30 minutes, something like, you know, it's kind of manual and a pain in the butt, but like it'll work. Um, and then it'll feel dry to the touch. Let it cool. Um, you can. Uh, my recommendation would be to grind it down to a smaller particle size, which you can do in a coffee grinder if you don't have a mill or a food processor. Okay. Um, and start. You know, you can start playing around with it. You can. That's what we were doing originally. Was just small batches like that. Now that's not a scalable solution for the industry, right? Mm. But that, as a, you know, as a home brewer, you could take. You know, you know if you just took half of your grain. And, you know, as you're finishing up your brew day and just lay some sheet, you know, lay it out on some sheet pans. Don't do too thick. Right. Um, you don't want to like heavily load the sheet pans because it's one of the things with the moisture in the brewer's grain is it's very bound on a molecular level. So it's, you know, it's very basically <laughs> soaking wet right inside yeah. and out. Um, yeah. and, and when you're heating something in an oven, you're going to heat the, uh, you know, the outside basically first right and so it's prone to burn before it's fully dry unless you stir really frequently okay and uh it's pretty labor intensive but it works um we identified that that was not going to scale <laughs> at all um and we knew that there's a lot of commercial drying processes that are out there and you know figured drying was the most important you know part of this the, the literature had said that what was out there was not you know viable for you know one reason or another but Figured, hey, there's got to be something out there that we can use. Yeah. Uh, we learned that the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, has a research center here in Northern California in 
uh, Berkeley, basically. It's in Albany, California. Um, it's like right on the kind of northwestern edge of, of Berkeley. And uh, at that center, they have the Agricultural Research Service, where they had a, uh, a program around identifying sources of plant-based waste and creating novel ingredients. You know, this is something that, for example, the dairy industry did with whey. You know, whey is a byproduct of, of cheese production, and whey protein is so hugely valuable now that in some cases you've got whey producers where cheese is the byproduct, right? It's oh, like that's totally a, flipped. That's a good point. Um, and so, you know, looking for new opportunities like like that across a you know variety of you know, supply chains and, and sectors. And so we we learned about this uh, this program, um, and I wrote the government a cold email. Basically, is how I saw it. Um, actually, a few different email addresses, uh, and actually, and, and explained what we were doing and uh, where we saw the roadblock. Um, and actually, heard back within another uh, 24, 48 hours, like really fast. Uh, with an invitation to come in to, to talk about it. And so we ended up partnering actually with this uh, team at the USDA Agricultural Research Service under what's called a co-research and development agreement. And we uh, started out with a search uh, for existing technologies, which we tested, um, found that they weren't sufficient for, for one reason or another, kind of validating what we had, we had read before, and uh, came up with a an idea for applying uh, infrared-based processing to uh, to this, which had been done in other industries, and had a breakthrough. Wow! And uh, that you know resulted in a patent, which is you know public record, and uh, that's kind of the basis of our of our technology. So we have this m- machine basically that we've developed um, that is designed to be able to be actually put on site at a at a brewery. Um, but we have one you know here that's just in a kind of central urban location that we're using as a production facility um, you know, for kind of version one, um, working on version two, you know, pretty, pretty soon. And, you know, our hope is to be able to deploy this through various partnerships, licensing agreements, whatever, you know, to uh, all over the, not whatever, you know, we're being very thoughtful about it, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, kind of all over, all over the world, everywhere beer is brewed and food is made. What's, what's really cool though, too, is that we, along the way, we realize that it's not just brewer's grain that stands to benefit from being processed in this way. Um, you know, for example, a lot of these like plant-based milks, like oat milks that are out there also yeah. have a byproduct that can be turned into a co-product through this process. And one of the things that's unique about our, our process and as part of the base, basis of the patent, it's not just energy efficient and food safe. You can't get patents for that reason, but it produces um, a really just premium, better sensory experience um, compared to you know, maybe using it, you know, a hot air process that is burning it or, you know, or something like that. And so, you know, there's now, when we started doing this, no one else was, was doing Brewer's Grand. You know, we, uh, there'd been some small examples of brew pubs and things like that. I'd heard of a, you know, there's a project up in the Northwest at, at one point around making a bread with Brewer's Grand, but no one was, you know, taking this approach that we were of creating an ingredient business, um, you know, really a platform, you know, to connect these, now today, you know, we've got we've got competitors that have that have cropped up, and you know, some of them are smaller companies uh, trying to figure it out, and others are you know big companies like um, you know AB InBev is now actually invested a tremendous amount of money in uh, doing something very similar to what to what Regrain does. If, you know, it's on public record they've, uh, they've got this like hundred million dollar uh, plant that they built in St. Louis. Um, and, and team that they're putting around, you know, developing like protein isolates, a little different product, but right. Yeah. yeah. Similar, similar type of thing. And what we're finding is that like, actually our, our product, um, 
it tastes better <laughs> based on how we how we process it too. And so it's uh, you know our process was designed to be just efficient and food safe, but we ended up with the surprising benefit of it um, also being the best tasting way of, of, of doing, it, which is you know that's important when you're talking about using something in products like you know baked goods and you know pastas and snacks and all you know ice cream and all kinds of different things. Um, you know, so we're uh, you know really excited to keep working with companies to bring different types of products to the market that they use it. But that's, yeah, a bit about how our process works and probably a lot more information than, <laughs> than No, than no, that, that's absolutely fascinating. And, and I'm kind of glad to hear there are other people trying to do a similar idea. And, and you really set me up for the next thing I want to ask you perfectly. But, you know, with, with Regrained, are you, I mean, I mean, is your goal from a business sense to just kind of dominate this upcycled food space? Or is your goal to kind of lead the charge and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is kind of sort of how we're doing it. You should do this too. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's a little bit of both. So like on the lot and I'll address the, the former in, a, in great detail, but you know, for the, the latter, like we've really taken a, a collaborative approach to raising awareness about food waste, about upcycled foods, got, came together with, uh, you know, a few other companies that were doing upcycling. And we, we started in uh, late 2019, the Upcycle Food Association. Um, there's less than 10 of us originally. There's around 200 now. This was the, this is the organization that um, developed a standard for what upcycled ingredients and upcycled foods are and actually has a certification program that is operating now to certify products as, as being upcycled. You know, that's all very collaborative, very you know, non-competitive. You know, let's create a rising tide right? um, yeah. for all kinds of companies to, to, do, to do the right thing. Um, you know, for our, our business, though, commercially for, for Regrained, you know, we've, uh, you know, kind of our, our core mission, yeah, is to be the, the upcycled ingredient platform for the food and beverage industry. So on the supply side, that means identifying, you know, new types of products to run through our process to create upcycled ingredients, similar to what we've done with the artist formerly known as Brewer Spent Grain that we've turned into Regrain Supergrain Plus. Um, and then on the you know, kind of demand side, if you will, of, of the market, working with food companies around developing concepts that, that leverage these these ingredients as, as the hero. Um, and that's where it gets really, really exciting because you know, and we, we've done some of our own branded products uh, before, too. And, and the goal of that was always to test messaging, to build awareness, build demand, show that different things could be done. But we, were, we would never be able to even hardly scratch the surface, the full potential of this ingredient, let alone on a, you know, a volume standpoint. I mean, we estimate there's 20 billion pounds of brewer's grain alone in, in the U.S. that's generated every year that could be upcycled. Uh, and so... You know, we're really keen on working with other companies that are developing products, be it a local bakery or a multinational consumer packaged goods brand, around incorporating these ingredients uh, into, you know, into new types of, of products. And so, you know, most of our our business is spent on, you know, working, you know, working uh, on those those opportunities, which has a lot broader impact than, you know, creating a a snack for distribution into so there's Perfect. a lot of room in this particular niche market uh, to either grow or for other people to find their own little piece of the p- pie, right? 
Broadly, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I hate to kind of goad your potential competitors, but I mean, this this is something that's like globally important. So it's it, yeah, absolutely it, competition would make you guys better as well. So yeah, and you know, and I'm all for that, and we're all for that. You know, on the supply side, there's no shortage of supply, and there hasn't been. It's important to remember there hasn't been, you know, shortage of, of supply. I think you know, for like Brewers Grain at least specifically, and some of these other ones, those processing challenges, you know, that we can help. Uh, yeah, we've cracked the code on that, if yeah. you will, through really extensive R and D. But you know, especially on the you know what I would call the demand side, right, of creating products with upcycled ingredients. I mean, this is uh, like Whole Foods named upcycled foods the top ten trend for for twenty twenty one. You know, there's uh, new brands starting all the time that are that are looking at at doing this. There's companies that are creating tortilla style chips from the pulp from juice making. You know, there are Companies that are uh, creating energy drinks from cascara, which is the fruit from the, the coffee plant. You know, mm-hmm. there's yeah. um, uh, companies. You know, there's, there's actually a cool, cool brand uh, called. There's one called Blue Stripes that is doing all kinds of products made using cacao. You know, the the fruit that we think of as chocolate. It doesn't taste like chocolate at all. It's like a tropical fruit. And they've got like cacao juice, and they've got. Uh, different baking mixes they've got like a nutella type product i mean there's um there's companies we were talking about way earlier um you know i just got a, a box actually while we were talking i just got got delivered of this this new product called spare tonic that's a it's a beverage that's uh, it's like a functional beverage is made using acid whey which is the byproduct from yogurt production which is often you know ends up in waterways and um you know is not does not have the same market as sweet whey which is you know made from from dairy and you know, this, uh, you know, this is a like a bubbly beverage, like a kombucha alternative that's made from uh, yogurt making. You know, by far. So there's a, I mean, there's nothing but opportunity in this upcycled foods. And, uh, and it's kind space. of funny if you know. Um, I just recently watched uh, Terminator with my son, and you think about the dystopian uh, movies like uh, Mad Max or a- any of those things, mm-hmm. um, and you think about you know, this, you know, upcycling our food is inevitable given a long enough timeline. So we could either do it now and make it taste good, or we can do it in that dystopian future uh, in, in fantasy land and think, you know, we, you know, we just need to survive and we'll take anything we can. Um, it, it, we're, we're kind of at a thing where it's like right now we've got options. Let's, let's, let's do it right. Totally. And I, and I want to all recognize too, is that it's not that this is a new idea. Also, we've got some new language to talk about it with upcycling, but you know, we, we talked about way already, but if you go back to various efforts to kind of seal the seasons, you know, with produce, for example, pickling, mm-hmm. preserving, oh, yeah. know, that's a similar idea, right? How do we, you know, make sure that we're not wasting and kind of, you know, preserve, preserve food, preserve resources. You go back to, you know, you can Google this, you can look up uh, World War II food waste, uh, like propaganda, you know, it's like benevolent propaganda, but it's still, you know, government, you know, the, like advertisements around not wasting food around World War Two. Yeah. Um, or know, or you, listen to our, our grandparents or great grandparents, depending on how old you are, who uh, lived through the Depression and you do totally. not waste anything. Nothing. Yeah. And, you know, you think about, you know, train. you talk to a chef, you know, that was maybe especially if they're trained in the French tradition and. They use the ends and stems. Um, they, you know, they use the whole the whole animal. Yeah. Um, or you know, just kind of conventional kitchen wisdom of okay, you go, you you know, you roast a chicken, 
you eat the you eat the roast chicken, then you got some leftovers probably. Maybe oh, yeah. you make I don't know tacos or enchiladas, and then you've got the carcass, and then you can boil that. and You can make broth. Right? Oh yeah, I, is, I love doing that with uh, with yeah. fish with chicken. I mean, you make the most incredible stock that that can then turn and make the most tasty risotto you've ever had in your life. You know, it's uh, absolutely yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm kind of curious. I, I was kind of thinking about this and uh, kind of following the the math on this a little bit. Is um, so you guys are upcycling all this all this uh, kind of spent uh, malt from breweries. Do you guys have any um, uh, byproducts from your process? And if so, what do you do with those? Yeah, it's a really good question. We don't today. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're not isolating protein. Um, you know, we, we can look at doing that in the future. And there's, there's things that can be done with the fiber uh, as, a, as a byproduct of that. But we are using, I mean, there's a sure, there's a little bit of process, you know, loss that happens from, you know, what they call fugitive dust, right, in the mill and, you know, thing, th- things is, like is that. Is that actually a actual, term? That is the actual technique. It would be a good band name, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Fugitive dust. Uh, Live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but other than, you know, so we, we're using the whole, um, you know, grain that after it's been used to brew. What's, what's kind of funny is, like, speaking of whole grain, uh, a lot of people ask us, can we, you know, is this a whole grain? Um, and what's funny is like whole grains are usually where they're adding, you know, some of the, um, components, you know, back into the, the flour to, you know, add more fiber and, you know, and things like that. And this like already has all of that, but it's, it's missing the, you know, like the germ and the, you know, endosperm, like what, what gets extracted in the, in the beer making process. So it's actually, it's like technically not a, you know, a whole grain. Um, but you know, what we're doing is we're taking that, you know, that, that, that malt that, uh, after it's been, which is barley, right? Sprouted barley, sprouted an ancient grain, if you want to be buzzy, yeah. <laughs> uh, from the breweries. And, uh, you know, we, we stabilize it um, and we mill it into a powder. And that's, you know, what most people are purchasing from us today. Most, you know, companies are purchasing from us today. So, um so I guess the question is, you know, you were kind of like, um, we're kind of like, uh, uh, the, the Wright brothers who like finally like flew a plane and like, Hey, we, we, we did this. We're onto something. The question is, where do you go from here? What, what, what's your vision for not only your business, but, but, um, the, the global food waste thing in 10, 20 years from here. Yeah. So, if, you know, Berkeley is our kitty hawk. Um, oh, nice. what's, what's, what's next? Um, you know, the, this is a global opportunity. And so we're, we're already actively in discussions with, you know, breweries around the world around what it might look like to deploy one of our systems on site. You know, really where we like to focus the conversation initially is, um, Hey, this like we can totally do this but who's you know let's develop the market for the ingredient itself right because this is a new ingredient for for food producers um and so you know it's it's kind of this tandem approach of working with the right partners on the product development side you know manufacturers brands etc and then also you know aligning with the good uh supply partners you know breweries and, and and whatnot um and in some cases, that's going to look like, you know, joint ventures or joint operating agreements. In other cases, we may set up plants. You know, there's a lot of different ways that, that we're looking at actually operationalizing that. But, you know, our vision is absolutely to be, you know, kind of the industrial platform, if you will, uh, for, you know, upcycled, upcycled food ingredients, um, you know, starting with, with brewer's grain, but extending you know, far beyond. So, uh, 
so the sky's the limit is basically at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, what will be interesting to see is which like categories, for example, you know, these like the brewer's grain ingredient actually like sells, you know, sells best in, we know it makes really delicious bread. We know it makes really delicious pasta. We know it makes really delicious snacks. Like for example, when you look at snacks, you know, a lot of snack companies now want to have gluten-free products and, you know, this is barley. So it has, so it has gluten, but not all gluten is created equal, but there's this kind of consumer health perception around gluten. And so, you know, we may find that, um, you know, certain applications are better than others based on allergens. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, but for this is fundamentally such a simple idea that, yeah, the sky really is the limit here. What we're saying is there's this resource. We're not putting it to best use. Now we've got a good way to do it. Let's do it together. Um, and we've come a long way since the, you know, underage homebrewing days that were the genesis of, of all of this. Uh, but just continually inspired by, you know, how and humbled by how far we still have to, to go to really see this thing through to the, the level that we want to. Yeah. Well, you're on a very, very exciting path and, uh, and I, I'm excited to intersect with you along your path and, and I can't wait to see what you have next, but, uh, I've got a few other questions for you. They're a little bit more, uh, philosophical. Um, and so we're, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, if, if I had the power to basically turn you into the, the king of the beer world for an entire day, what would you change? Or what's the first thing you would change? The king of the beer world. Okay, well, I'm just going to shift gears from just the regrind and upcycling and junk, because obviously, you know, I want to, there's the, <laughs> that's a more obvious answer. But in the beer world, I would love to see yeast dominant beers become as ubiquitous as IPAs. <laughs> so you have a penchant for Belgian styles. I love, personally, I love Belgian styles, you know, Saisons, you know, all, all of it. And just, I just think there's so much interesting complexity that you can get from fermentation, right? That, um, and, and hops are amazing. I don't get me wrong. I, I love a good IPA, like everybody, but there's just this kind of unsung hero of beer making and the yeast, you know, uh, that, uh, I'd love to, to see more options on the, on the shelves. And, and I find it interesting too. I'm going to insert this as well. I find it, I find that interesting because you, you can get terroir from malt. You can get, definitely get terroir from hops, but I think to express terroir in the most obvious and overt way is, you know, start with your yeast. And I think, um, those spontaneous fermentation beers are, are the best example of that. So I, that, I mean, if you want something just like fun and challenging and easy and delightful and everything, it's like, yeah, let's, let's get some good yeast in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even need to be a wild fermentation, right? Like there's no. some, you know, lots of commercially available yeast that, you know, impart some really interesting flavors. It's just, if you have too much, uh, you know, if you've got a, like the hops, you know, tend to, tend to take the center stage when you, when yes. you have a high yes. IBU, right? Yeah. Especially Products, in the so. West coast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Let's say tomorrow you and I are going to get on one of these billionaire rockets and fly to Mars to set up a brewery and 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 a bakery and and kind of uh, upcycle everything we do because we're on Mars, right? But today, yeah. today is our last day on Earth until we head to Mars. What is going to be your last meal and your last beer? 
<laughs> Ooh, God, I love to eat. That is, uh, <laughs> well, you can't, you got a snack company. Hopefully you know somebody. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Um, what would I eat for my last meal? Gosh, I don't know. I'm not, you know, so a lot of people probably say like a really good steak or, you know, or, or something like that. You know, but, I've had the gamut of answers. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it probably, honestly, for meal, it'd probably be some really nice, you know, sushi, sushi dinner with some great fresh fish and just inventive, you know, combinations of, of things. Um, and on the beer side, So I, I grew up going to a uh, summer camp right in Santa Rosa, California. And you know who else is in Santa Rosa, California is the Russian River, you know, yeah. brewing company. And they've yeah. got incredible beers, not just, you know, Pliny, which everyone knows on the IPA side, but they're um, just the full gamut of, you know, Belgian styles too. And so I probably need to just go there and uh, cheat your answer and just have everything on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, so you have quite an extensive history with beer and and uh, a um, kind of like a uh, parallel industry to the to the beer industry. With with all of your experiences put together, why does good beer matter? I think good beer matters because it's not when I when I hear good beer, it's not just about how good the beer tastes, but it's about everything that goes into the production of it. You know, the company that's, that's operating, you know, the, the production of it and extrapolating a little bit on what I was saying earlier about how, you know, beer is an agricultural product. You know, it's got four simple ingredients, you know, water, hops, you know, barley, yeast, right. Two, two of those, the barley and the hops are products of the land. Right. And, and embedded in that is all kinds of decisions around, you know, cultivation and, um, you know, so I, I good beer matters because of all the decisions that go into making good beer and the ripple effects that that has on everything else. Nice, excellent. Um, so the the other two questions these these are really easy. Uh, if anyone uh, listening to this wants to uh, check you guys out or learn more or buy some of your products, where can they go? Yeah, so of course, regrains.com, R-E-G-R-A-I-N-E-D.com. That's where we have our consumer-facing products. Right now, we've got a really beautiful pasta, the Semolina artisanal pasta created using our flour, and that's available for, for purchase um, for you know, kind of the more B2B focus side of things. So, you know, bakeries out there, other food companies. Uh, if you go to upcycledfoods.com, that's, uh, that's our website for partnerships um, and yeah, reach out on LinkedIn, you know, Instagram, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, awesome. And um, I'm just going to say this in the uh, on air so that people go, this will all be in the show notes. Um, but you also did a TED Talk. So I'm going to put that in uh, to kind of talk about all the stuff in, in a different context, but, you know, kind of kind of share the state of the world with this stuff. Um, I'll put that in the show notes too. anyone who wants to listen. Um but uh, last question, do you have any calls to action or any uh, final words of wisdom? Uh, I'll go with our, our, our tagline, which is also a call to action. And it's, uh, it's eat up. <laughs> nice. Got a few, few layers of meaning there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's, it's witty, clever, and just, you know, obvious. Just eat up. 
drink up. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you especially for the work that you're doing. Um, I've tasted the snacks and they're delicious. So, uh, in fact, I, I especially love there's a, that, I think it was the aged cheddar and uh, blue cheese and Parmesan. And then there was a, a smoked pit uh, Texas barbecue. The, both of those were, I think, my favorites. Oh, and the street corn was like close second between those two. So th- they were fantastic. So thank you for sharing those. And, um, yeah, thank you for everything you're doing. Yeah, thank you. It's been great, great chatting, and uh, appreciate the the opportunity to share what we're working on. I think about the tons of spent grain that made it to farms as animal feed. Then I think about the tons that ended up wasted. Kudos and gratitude go to Dan and his team at Regrain for discovering and executing on the principle that one person's trash can be another's treasure. In the next episode, we continue with the Beer with Benefits series by literally putting the bread back into liquid bread. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.